You know what that sound means. Welcome to the most interesting part of your day. An exciting episode of the Metaphysical Mysteries with your intrepid hosts, Dr. Terry Trubla and Tom Greenhall. Always finding the seekers in this world and reporting it directly to you, the free and the brave. We encourage all of our fans to check out our website at www.themetaphysicalmysteries.com where we have more content and reference items, links to many of our amazing and cutting-edge guests. We are excited to have you with us again. And as you know, this is the must-do podcast for anybody who is anybody in the metaphysical field. We cover everything from ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, amazing healing sciences, and leading technologies that are simply the coolest. We'll bring in researchers, doctors, and authors, and give you content that you cannot get anywhere else. Check out our latest merchandise and proudly wear and use the Metaphysical Mysteries clothing and accessories. Now, on with our next episode. Good afternoon, folks. This is Dr. Terry and Tom here with the Metaphysical Mysteries podcast, most interesting part of your day. And today we have with us a North Carolina resident who is a psychic medium, uh, does tarot cards, and uh, is available for reading still to this day. So that's good. Uh, Kelly, Paul Major, is that correct? I will answer to that. Yes. Kelly yes, Kelly Palmatier is how I normally say that. So hi, I'm Kelly Palmatier. There you go. See, I knew she'd get it. (laughs) All right. Fantastic. So, um, you know, we were talking earlier in um, North Carolina, Asheville, and tell us why, tell us a little bit about why Asheville's what it is. Like I said, I thought it was maybe really getting into the metaphysical field. I see conferences there and different people that provide similar services. What's the, what's the story with Asheville? Asheville's wonderful. I'm in love with it here. Uh, it's a beautiful little mountain town nestled in the, the Blue Ridge Mountains of Western North Carolina. And it's a, it's a fairly small city. So it does have most of the things that you would want in a city. It's also a tourist town. So we have lots of exciting restaurants and attractions and things that an, another small town might not be able to support if we didn't have the tourist traffic, but it's really cool vibe here. I I always tell people in Asheville, you can be whoever you are. You know, I used to live in rural Georgia and it was a very traditional kind of vibe. And that went along with a sort of a judgmental feeling. People weren't really focused on new ideas, education, things like that. And when I came to Asheville, it was like a breath of fresh air. Awesome. Well, that sounds like the place to be then. It's a beautiful it, country it over there. It me, yeah. Love, love being over there when I get a chance to. So mm-hmm. fantastic. Um, so you got into this whole psychic medium thing a long time ago. Tell mm-hmm. us about your entry into this field. Yeah, well, I've been psychic my whole life. And then I actively worked at developing it all throughout high school and college and the 30-something years since then. Um, I actually studied parapsychology in England at the University of Kent at Canterbury 
wow. with Professor Chris Cherry. So I'm very thankful to have been able to do that. And then while in England, I also mentored under professional psychic Joe Wynn in West Sussex, and she's amazing. She and I are still friends. We, we Zoom call regularly. So um, yeah, that was definitely a big part where I did a lot of development. And then when I was, after I had been in Asheville for a little while, I was meditating. I was sitting at the base of a waterfall and getting in touch with nature and spirit, meditating and asking for guidance. And I just asked, you know, I want to make a difference in the world. I like to help people. If there's something I can do to help others that I'm not already doing, please give me a sign. And uh, I was expecting something subtle, like a friend loans me a book or something like that. What I got was a direct message from spirit on the spot, boom, popped into my head that I should learn to channel for loved ones who've crossed over. And I was familiar with, you know, mediums insofar as I'd seen some of the TV shows, you know, and I knew I was psychic, but I never really identified as a medium. Right. So when I heard that message, I was like, okay, how shall I do this? And immediately the answer just came to my head to read books, spend time in meditation and connect with other psychics and mediums. I started doing all of that right away. And by the end of the month, I was channeling. Wow. And that's about yeah. six years ago now. Wow. So you had the natural ability anyway, you just needed to tune in to that yeah. particular frequency. Yeah. I mean, I do think that everybody has some ability, you yes. know, but it's just a matter of, I, I had been actively working at developing it for years anyway. You know, I always tell people, cause I teach a lot of classes and stuff. But yeah. I tell people when they ask, how, how do you become psychic? And I said, well, everybody's psychic to some degree, but mm -hmm. I use the um, driving a car. I said, you know, every, virtually everybody can drive a car, you know, and so, but some people like the little old ladies, they only drive to the grocery store and church and go home and they're 20 miles an hour, whereas the, their nephew uh, drives in the detail of 500. So, <laughs> you know, what's the difference? Well, you're still driving a car, one's just at super high speed and done a lot, a lot of practice and has all the right gear to make it happen. So mm -hmm. that's the field mm -hmm. I, as I typically explain it to people yeah and they're like okay because those people who are daytona 500 drivers that's what our average people would call psychics right because yeah. they're really good at what exactly. they do and they've yeah. took, taken the time like what you just mm -hmm. explained to get yourself yeah. up to speed where you feel comfortable now when you when you got to that certain point um there's all the time this trepidation i feel with a lot of psychic mediums when do I jump out into the public and, oh my God, I could get it wrong. How did you get, <laughs> how'd you overcome that? Yes. Yes. So, you know, imposter syndrome is strong with us. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's the type of thing where you'll never be good enough. You, you'll never feel like you're ready. Uh, you know, I've, I've been offering readings professionally for years now, and and I still get to that point where, like, I'll be in the middle of a reading and something odd will pop into my head and I'll be like, oh, I don't want to say that. That could be wrong. Well, everything I say could be wrong, you know, but yeah, the sure. nature of being a medium is you have to just allow it to flow. Whatever pops into your mind, you say it. And sometimes it doesn't make sense or it doesn't make sense right then. Maybe later it does. Maybe after they talk to their Aunt Martha, they're like, oh, my God. Yes. You know? And, and, and it, it's funny. I'm, I'm actually a big I'm actually a big perfectionist. Mm -hmm. So I think for me, it's, it kind of goes along with my uh, my 
my journey in this lifetime is to be able to accept the lack of control, to just let it flow. And, and I can't always be right. Yeah, absolutely. So when you're helping people, um, what kind of help do you feel from your perspective, what you do is, you know, something right there gives you joy that you're with your help. You know, anytime I help people, I love that, whether it's holding a door for someone, you know, as they're walking through it or, or something where I'm bringing somebody inner peace that they, that they've been craving for years, it's all help. And I love helping people, but absolutely the, the role of a psychic medium who, who's, who's very strong and works in the realm of light is that I love that so often I will bring people inspiration or inner peace or like an awakening that they just haven't had. And it's, it can be life-changing. So I, I absolutely feel incredibly honored to be able to touch people in this way. Gotcha. Tommy? No, I, I want to go back if you don't mind. You said you've been psychic from a very young age. And yeah. a lot of times we get questions from parents about their kids. Are they seeing things, you know, or are they legitimate in what they perceive? How did you identify that you had that ability so young and what, how did it show up in your life? Yeah, that's a great question. And I definitely feel that, you know, especially when, when you're first starting off with psychic energy, whether it's as a child or as an adult, when you're re really just first starting to get into this field, you definitely have those few experiences where it's like, oh, is that psychic or is that my imagination or is that lucky, you know? And the thing is, you don't really know, you know, it, it's, it's just the type of thing where experience can answer those things more deeply. Now, sometimes, especially now as a practice medium, I'll get some validations that's just like, so irrefutable that you couldn't just make this stuff up. I, just yesterday I got, um, was it yesterday or the day before? Anyway, within the past few days, I was doing a mediumship reading for somebody and I saw an image of somebody in drag and I heard the name Josephina and it was just like together. And somebody in drag named Josephina totally made sense to my client. And that's so friggin' on the mark you know you you can't you can't just guess at something like out of out of thin air oh somebody in drag the name josephina and put them together and the, and it makes sense so yeah there there's certain times when you know it's real but a lot of times with psychic energy it's kind of open to interpretation and so especially when you're dealing with kids you don't always know i actually had just with earlier this month, like within the past few weeks, I had someone come to me because her son was seeing visions of ghosts who were very scary. It, they were describing sort of the sixth sense movie, the imagery that you see in the sixth sense. And the, the child, the poor child, I mean, he came in, he was yawning nonstop, had dark circles under his eyes. And when we when I interviewed him and talked to him about his experiences, I could tell that some of the experiences he had were inconsistent with my understanding, or I should say my exposure to the spirit world. So there certainly may have been some imagination playing a role, but I intuitively knew 
that the spiritual tools that I would give him would help either way. So a lot of times with kids, you can just go along and be open to what they're saying. You don't have to say whether it is or it isn't. You can just say, well, that's very interesting. And you know these tools work for, for professional mediums when they're dealing with something like that. Here's how you call in the white light, you know, things like that. Very cool. Yeah. yeah, there's so many, so many of those people looking for the answers today. So what was your first experience? Do you recall? One of my earliest experiences was with my older sister, Lee. She was three and a half years older than I, and no, four and a half, four and a half years older than I. And she was showing me a card trick. And it was one of these classic, you know, pick a card, any card, I'll tell you what you picked. I choose a card. And then she makes a great show of, of concentrating before she tells me what card I picked. Well, she did that trick with me. And I was like, wow, let me try. Let me try. And and I did the trick back to her. And when I said four of hearts, you know, her jaw just. <laughs> so it was one of those moments. But it's also interesting, too, because once I saw her reaction, I realized that she she had been showing me a trick mm-hmm. and that I had done something that was weird. Yeah. <laughs> Not a trick. So it it actually I couldn't duplicate it again right after that. But that's it's there's definitely that psychological piece that comes into play when you're dealing with psychic energy. I want to ask you, um, you were in England. So for our Listeners in England, you know, uh, bear with me as I do this, I guess. But uh, and for the American audience, uh, England has had a long history of psychic mediumship and uh, spiritualism going back over 100 years and even more. Um, Did you notice because they do, you know, what you think of with uh, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle and, you know, these kind of people. they had physical mediumship, and then they also have the mental mediumship. Here we're talking about mental mediumship. The physical mediumship is where something manifests in, around, or on the actual uh, medium themselves. Did you get a chance to see any of that or do learn about that when you were there? Because it's a different environment. Yeah. Um, you know, the interesting thing about physical mediumship is it, it ebbs, it ebbs and flows um, in popularity. As we know, it was certainly very popular for a while, um, especially in England, but some in the U.S. as well. You know, the, you, you've heard the stories about the Fox sisters and all that, mm-hmm. but there there was a lot of documented fraud. Yes. And and so the thing is, I I believe in the potential for physical mediumship. And in fact, I have had some physical anomalies occur during my readings but not, it's not a regular thing. I definitely refer to myself as a mental medium, but you know, I've had things happen where lights have flickered or uh, there have been knocking sounds um, or I've seen visual mist, you know, things like that physically during my mental mediumship readings. Right. As far as like when I was in England, the only exposure that I had to sort of documented physicality regarding energy is with table tilting. Mm-hmm. So 
Um, for those who aren't familiar, and I know you you guys are are familiar because you're in this field, but for, for listeners who might not be familiar, I'll just mention that table tilting is where you get multiple people sitting around a table and you can can you, you can place your hands gently on top of the table and then ask the table to move. And uh, the table will, um, when you're doing this, it can actually legs of, of the floor of the table, you know, the, the table legs will actually lift up off the floor. And so that's where that the name table tilting comes in because you get some of that. Sometimes it can be very robust where it's doing, you know, kind of all fours all around. And then um, in our case, the, the way that I had exposure to it is I was participating in a study that was done by a gentleman in the city of Canterbury, where for each week, each week he had a team of people who would come and do this experiment where they had sensors uh, attached to the table to measure the weight loss in the table. And we would do these exercises and it was remarkable the way this table, I mean, it, it would, it got so crazy. Um, and then when I joined, I guess, well, it's funny. I, I, the, I would do it and I was like focusing so hard. Like I really was into this man and, and the table would kind of like start to go away from me. And I was so frustrated because I was like, table come to me I'm trying so hard and I'd focus even harder and it would go even further away from me and finally somebody who was more experienced in it than I was said I'm just going to go and sit on this other side to kind of balance out the power and then I realized oh shoot you know all this time I'm focusing so hard I'm pushing the table away from me yes Absolutely. but that was funny and then we also would actually after we'd gotten really great energy on the table tilting by touching it on top then everybody touches the sides of the table uh, very gently, and um, we stand, and the the table you know goes straight up to the ceiling, as far as we can reach for levitation. It's bizarre stuff. <laughs> what kind of science do you apply to that? How did you, you know, register that in your logical brain? How was that actually occurring, as far as you could see? Yeah. So, um, you know, I really wish that. I had taken good notes and I could find the name of the gentleman who did that and then go find the study and, and see the results. Um, but unfortunately, I, I don't recall his name. It's been, you know, 30 years. And and I, I Googled it and my Google results don't turn up anything tangible. But as far as like the way my own understanding of it goes, I definitely feel like there's there may be some co uh, cooperation with spirit, but I also feel like the telekinesis uh, of one's own energy comes into play with that. Um, and we know that this is the case, or I should say it's consistent with what we believe when you play parlor games like um, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, you know, and, and you put your fingertips, you hold someone and you lift someone um, with your fingertips in these these uh, party games, which are yes. kind of silly to be party games. But anyhow, like when I was a kid, I was at some big slumber party where they were doing this game. And the, the adults who were leading this game told everybody now concentrate on lifting up this person. And, and I really did concentrate and they did it great. And then we, we repeated it several times. And even as a child, my skeptical side of my brain was like, what if I concentrate on making her heavy? And I did. I'm sorry, I was a bad party 
party goer. But I, I like for one of those sessions, I like focused on making it heavy and they couldn't lift her so well. So I definitely feel like there's some level of um, your telekinesis, your psychokinesis, where you're using your own energy to affect physical matter. And then, of course, I also thought about the psychological aspects, like why do we do these games in the dark, right? And so it's like, for example, I, I know touching the sides of the table, why do we have to do it with multiple people too, right? So touching the sides of the table and we're in the dark, I know I'm not cheating, you know, putting my thumbs are under it or something, but maybe the others are. And so psychologically, it allows your brain to be able to say, even though this is totally against what I understand of the way the physical world works, I'm going to allow it just this time because it could be this cheating, you know? So there's that kind of psychological trickery that allows us to believe as we do it. Absolutely. Now you don't uh, believe, at least I hope, I don't know, Ouija boards. I, I always tell kids to stay away from Ouija boards just because it can open things that they're might have a challenge closing. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, absolutely. I, I recommend that people do not play with Ouija boards. Um, sometimes it's it may be completely harmless and no big deal, but other times you may be inviting in spirits that have no business being invited in. And and uh, you know, typically people who are playing these, you know, if you're playing with a Ouija, in most cases, people who are playing with Ouija are not people who are trained in psychic grounding, psychic protection. Um, they're not working with their angels and their guides to allow only in spirits of high vibration or benevolent intent. So yeah, you, you get some young, immature, and of course, we all know sometimes teenagers may be a bit dramatic. <laughs> So you get that kind of energy going on. And then you start inviting in spirits that you think about what's who, what spirits are going to want to come and play Ouija with a bunch of kids. Well, yeah. you might get some that are like, oh, they're cute kids. I'm going to guide them. But, you know, in most cases, that's going to be a, a magnet for spirits who are more low vibrational and and want to just wreck some havoc. Yeah, I had a. I had a group of, well, they were like 14, 15, doing a slumber party, but they were in England actually, and they were in a castle and uh, <laughs> classic. It was almost like a oh, whole nice. movie, you know? Yeah. So, and uh, anyway, long story, the, the lady, the woman, she was a woman when she told me this, but when she was young, she had um, a parrot. And so these girls were doing the Ouija board and all of a sudden stuff started shifting around way too fast for them. And they were panicked and they're like, I threw the board together and said, forget it, you know? And then all of a sudden the parrot starts talking in Spanish and nobody had ever taught the parrot to speak in Spanish. Yeah. And they knew that, that the, obviously the spirit had got a hold of the parrot mm -hmm. and that convinced her right then, right there, no more Ouija board ever. And uh -huh. she, she did have residual results from that because she was very psychic and didn't know it. Parents mm -hmm. told her, you're not psychic, you're crazy. And, you know, wanted to lock her up, but she had residual issues starting from that point into her forties. You know, until some resolution was had, but uh, so I, I always tell kids, don't don't do that. It's not worth it. Really, isn't not worth it. No, no, definitely not. Tommy, yeah, you you hear about those games and the things that the kids get involved in, especially today. You know, they're looking for different answers to questions they have in their life. So, 
I think today there's a higher risk of people actually walking down this road and accidentally finding themselves in a place they don't want to be. So it's I, good have, I have to say, I think there are other tools that like if people want to play around in that realm, uh, you know, you can look at some other tools that that give a better parameter. So, for example, for people who are interested in doing some sort of divination, you know, the, the tarot cards can be a very powerful tool. The thing is, you do want to find a deck that resonates with you and a deck that presents information in a way that is more gentle. You know, I, I personally like to use the Angel Deck by Radley Valentine just because it, it presents the information in a gentle way. So, you know, for, for people who like to play around with stuff like that, the tarot where where your answers are limited with a into the particular tools that you're dealing with, you know, you're not going to have some, you know, major negative energy come in because all they're going to be able to say is happy outcome, the path toward enlightenment, you know? Yeah, we're on a show for that, aren't we? That, uh apropos you know i think people need to understand about the tarot cards we'll get into that in just a second but i mean they go all the way back to egyptian times you know um where some of this originated from and of course you know being in the bible belt you know uh, many preachers ministers uh, this is all the devil's work and all that kind of thing you know and i get that i get that what they're trying to do but i will always say jesus was quite the mystic quite the mystic and, you know, the Bible's the most psychic book ever written because it all had to be downloaded to somebody, whether it's a prophet or whatever the case may be. And so um, it's a little two-faced to say, on the one hand, no, don't do it. On the other hand, we're reading a book, but that's what it was all about, you know, so um, pretty crazy stuff in a way. Um, so since this is ancient stuff and we brought it forward and that's one of the things you use. And I've always said, people ask me off the cuff, well, what, why do people use those cards? And I said, well, really, my opinion is it helps them focus their energy on the situation at hand so they can maybe give it a better revelation as to what's going on, you know, in your case. So um, it's like many other things that you can help focus. Some people like to use uh, crystals and things of that nature to help focus their energy. Uh, I, I've seen lots of different things, but tell us about the cards. And if somebody, you know, wanted to learn about it, maybe we do a little demo here in a little bit, but uh, what, what's all about the cards? How do people get into that? And what do you say about them? Yeah, so the cards, the cards are just a tool, right? And, and mm -hmm. I think that, you know, I think religion is a tool, you know? Sure. It's it's just a matter of how do you use it? How do you interpret it? What do you do with it? You know, there have been a lot of a lot of um, killings that have happened in the name of religion, um, and there have been a lot of a lot of good and a lot of people helped through divination tools like tarot. So I I definitely see the positivity in all these different tools, but I also see the need to be careful with these different tools. You know, when it comes to tarot, tarot is just a, a divination tool. So you can have people who, if they're interested in this sort of thing, they can pick up a deck of tarot cards and, you know, maybe read a, a pamphlet or a page on how to lay things out, and then they can, boom, do a tarot reading. So tarot is a very low bar of entry 
in, into some sort of divination, giving readings and whatnot. It's interesting because sometimes I think we may judge how psychic somebody is based on whether or not they use these tools or what tools they use. You know, as a medium, I don't use any tools. I just listen. I'm, I'm because I have most of the different clairs, I can receive information that way. You know, I, I am, I am an empath. So I do feel the emotions of others. I'm clairvoyant. So I psychically see images, clairaudient. So I hear messages, clairaliant. So I get psychic smells, clairsentient. So I physically feel the energy and also claircognizant. So sometimes I just know things, mm -hmm. <laughs> but when I'm doing readings, when I'm doing psychic readings in particular, I really enjoy using a combination of reading the tarot cards and then just tuning in to the energy because they really, to me, it kind of acts like a checks and balances system. So like what I do in my readings and my psychic readings, is I'll start by telling people what I'm getting from the energy before I lay out any cards and I'll tell them all about, you know, whatever I'm feeling for them. It feels like you've gone through a breakup or whatever. Then I'll lay the cards out and I'll be like, oh, now I see you're the queen of water. He's the king of air. There's a harshness there that doesn't fit. You know, and so I'll, I'll describe what the cards are saying. But the, the, it, it really helps to like be able to like say, here's what I'm picking up from the energy and then have the cards say it in, well, it's not black and white, but in writing. You know, and right. that that also helps because like when I'm dealing with people, I like helping people. I want to be able to tell people what they want to hear, but the cards are a counterbalance, you know, that checks and balances. I it it kind of makes sure that I'm in tune with the actual energy and not just what I want to feel for them. Yeah, I mean, we don't always want rainbows and unicorns. You know, sometimes you need to know, hey, you're off track and you're significantly off track. And here's kind of what it's about. And that helps people, I think. And I see some psychic mediums uh, that that just do the, you know, the rainbows and the unicorns. And that's not necessarily helpful. Right. Uh, and I think they almost default to that if they're not getting something. And there are days where I think ethics come into play as well. I'm sure you agree, where there's just a day you're not connecting for whatever reason. And you yeah. got to be able to say, listen, it's just, we're just not connecting. Let's reschedule mm -hmm. this, or here's a refund or whatever yeah. the case may be. Yeah. And for those that are not ethical, it really gives everybody kind of a bad name. Do you have any thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, I mentioned before, I'm a perfectionist and I absolutely hate it, but it does still occasionally happen where I'll sit down to do a reading for somebody and I'll, you know, the spirits that I'm channeling are not theirs or, or and it, it's just, it's not connecting. And I just have to say, I'm so sorry, but um, let me just give you a refund. If you want to try again later, we can. It's, I know it's a disappointment to them because they're wanting to connect but it doesn't always happen. I can't, I don't have control over all those nuances. Um, and, and I actually, this is kind of crazy. I, I almost feel like I shouldn't admit this, but I'm gonna admit it. So here's the dirt. Just this past week, I had somebody come into my office whose energy was so negative. I had to ask her to leave. Yeah. In all my years of doing readings, I've never kicked anybody out before, but it just, that's how bad it was. There was not, 
there was not a positive connection there. Now, I, in my case, I actually was getting information, but it wasn't information she was ready or willing to receive. So yeah, the energy ebbs and flows and you just, you have to go with it. Absolutely. Tom, I know you got something. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah definitely, Kelly. When you get that information that they don't want to hear, yet they need to hear, how do you balance that? Because yeah. we've had this question with guests in amongst ourselves that a lot of people, as he said, you know, rainbows and unicorns, when they really need to hear the hard truth that maybe they are contributing to their life problem, but they're not being told that. Yeah. Yeah. So my policy is I'm always going to be honest with my clients and I'm not going to hide things from my clients, but I work in the realm of light. My company name is Channeling White Light because I'm focused on making a difference in the world. Mm -hmm. So if I have some difficult news to tell somebody, I'm just going to tell them in a way that is gentle and mm -hmm. loving. Um, also, I work regularly with my angels and spirit guides so that I ask for only positive messages that serve highest good. Now that doesn't mean I'm not going to see something negative that goes on in somebody's life, but it means that I will only see something negative if there's a benefit to them to hear about it. Okay. Makes sense. Because so many people don't go that far. They just stop it. It sounds like, you know, I know like in our counseling practices, sometimes as I put it, you have to drop the hammer. If yeah. someone's going to be awoken to what they really need for themselves, right? If, well, if they want to hear it. Absolutely. And, and I have to say it helps if you can also see the beauty in that person. Um, and and it, I know this may sound kind of goofy, but the fact is it's true. When my client sits down with me and I tune into their energy, I almost always see that that beautiful divine spark deep inside, even if they've got a gazillion problems and they're, you know, mean as heck, you know, whatever it is, I can usually find that divine spark. So then I can start the reading by talking about the wonderful parts of them. And then I can go into, I, I also feel that you have these challenges and I really would love for you to have this wonderful outcome, but I do feel that if you could just shift a little bit this direction, you know, so I think there are ways to present even challenging information in a way that's kind and gentle and, and, you know, really helpful. Absolutely. My question is also from a practical, for practical purposes, do you get information all the time walking down the street or do you have a kind of a light switch that you've developed? And if so, what's it like? Yeah, that's a great question. So I definitely find that I'm more sensitive just as my baseline. So, you know, walking down the street, if if there are people arguing loudly or something like that, I might kind I might kind of cringe a little more than than other people. So my baseline of sensitivity is definitely a little higher than most people. But then I have a way that I will open myself up during a session and then shut it down when I'm done. Um, for example, whenever I'm doing mediumship work, I have a specific thing that I say. Now, I wrote these words, but anybody listening, you're welcome to use my words or create your own. When I start a mediumship session, I say, I'm opening the door and clearing the way to invite guides or spirits of high vibration or benevolent intent to bring forth positive messages that serve highest good. Thank you. <laughs> then when the session is complete, I will close it by saying, thank you so much for coming through today. 
I'm ending the session, closing the door with love and gratitude. Thank you. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think for, I'll say newbies that have discovered, and they often say they're an empath and they're feeling other people's stuff, but it can be other things as well. I just think that um, it, it can be really challenging for them to try to live in a regular lifestyle when they're all of a sudden walking by somebody and all of a sudden they're feeling their heart, you know, cause it, the other person's, you know, having, having heart chest pains or they're having an arm hurts or a leg hit a hip and that sort of thing. Do you give any advice to people who are in that, you know, boat and how they can stop that? Yes, yes, absolutely. I do a lot of psychic development mentorship um, for people who are trying to develop their psychic skills fine-tune their skills, grow their psychic businesses. And so I go through this one a lot for, for empaths, but basically this works for anybody um, to surround yourself in a bubble of divine white light. So I actually have an affirmation that I say, and again, um, people, this, I wrote these words, but you guys are welcome to use this or write your own. But I say, I surround myself in divine white light, encompassing universal love, joy, healing, and protection. I freely radiate universal love to others while allowing myself to be affected only by positive thoughts, feelings, and emotions. With ease and grace, this or something better. Thank you. Nice. And, and so, you know, I do that in my, my, my daily, my morning meditations. I'll do it anytime I I'm about to go into a reading, I may do it. Or if uh, if I'm dealing with a, a situation that's a little more challenging. Yeah. Mine's a little, I, I do pretty quick. I go, light. I'm a guy. Light. Yeah. Lights on, lights off, clapper. Um, and then, so, you know, that kind of stuff. And uh, then sometimes get, all right, time for a little help here. Let's do it. And mine's really simple. And yeah. uh, But they're used to me. So they get, yeah. I think you do get a, a group that's used to you and they're like, mm, he's pretty abrupt, but he, he has good intent, you know, yeah. and that, that brings me to the point of intention because um, I do a lot of, well, I get exorcisms type thing, mm -hmm. you know, and, and it can be anything from the most basic of clearing a house and then to actually moving negative energies away from somebody, you know, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. So I think intent is truly a very, very positive thing and powerful thing. But uh, some people, they'll want a ritual because I think it, once again, it helps focus their intent, their energy. So prayer of different kinds can work. Um, certain different other rituals can work as well, uh, depending on what you're doing. And I think there's comes into a belief for that person uh, that this ritual, which they need to see. And I think a lot of it's socially conditioned because a lot of, um, uh, churches do ritual all the time of some sort or another, depending on what your denomination is. So what do you think about doing a little ritual and your intent and so forth when we're, when we're working in this field? Oh, I absolutely believe in the power of ritual. Mm -hmm. You know, I see it all the time. Um, you know, when I first was learning tarot, I was taught that you shouldn't buy your own tarot cards. It should be gifted to you. Right. And then you should you should wrap your cards the same way in the same cloth every time. Uh, and, you know, all of these different things that basically just brings strength and power. It's like those little psychological tricks I was talking about. 
-hmm. you know it's i find that ritual is just a tool Right. So again, the, the power of intention is really where it's at. But if you can then create ritual around your intention, that really grows that power exponentially. You know, I want to talk just real briefly about the um, tarot cards. So I'll, I'll give you a, for instance, let's say somebody gets um, King of Wands and then a queen of wands, it doesn't have to be the same person, two people sitting side by side as an example. That in and of itself doesn't mean anything. It's got to be kind of done in the totality of not only what the cards say, but what you're getting as a, in a relationship to laying the cards out. Is that correct? Well, there are a lot of factors involved. Sure. Yeah. So where a card falls in the layout of tarot, is a huge factor you know if if you've got the queen of of wands that is representing you in the center of the reading if the king of wands is in the position of your past influences this may be the re relationship you're leaving it might be in your future influences which is the position you know what you're coming into it might be in your hopes and fears position something that you want gotcha so it's it's quite complex. In other words, you really got to understand your cards and how it's done. Well, you know, it, it can be very complex, but also tarot is the type of thing where it's a tool that's pretty easy to get in just initially. So if you're interested in trying it out, it's it's not that hard, especially if you get, you know, certain decks like um, the, the Angel deck by Radley Valentine that I use actually has the meaning of the card listed right on it. So you can read the text. You don't even have to memorize what it's all about or pull the book out for every card. Um, right. So it can be quite simple, but you do need at the very least, you need the meaning of the card and the meaning of the position that the card is in. But even once you get that, there's definitely a level of, of intuition and interpretation that does come into play. Say, for example, you have the king and queen of the same suit. Well, that doesn't always mean that you're talking about a partnership connection. It right. could be a family connection. It could be similar personalities. Sure. It could be another aspect of you. You know, you, you're allowing yourself to open up to your more masculine side or your more feminine side. If you're doing a spread, is there a particular spread that you do on an average thing? And then what's the specialty spreads? And for people that don't understand, I'm talking about when the cards are laid down and how many you lay down and what order you want to clue us into how that typically works. Yes. So there are lots of different spreads and lots of different decks. And it's up to each reader which deck they use and which spread they use. One of the more common layouts spreads is the Celtic cross. And the Celtic cross layout is the one that I use just because it's the one that I learned on 30 years ago. Sure. Um, and I do one thing that's a little bit different than what most people do. I will initially go through the deck and pull out the four court cards that, that could represent my client. So if I'm doing a female, I might pull out the four queens. If I'm doing a male, I might pull out the four kings. Um, if I'm doing, if I'm reading for someone transgender, I might ask them if they have a preference or I could pull out the Kings and the Queens, and then I'll lay those cards down, mix them up, lay just those court cards down, have them choose a number when the cards are face down. So they're not, it's a blind choice. And then we'll see, oh, you're the queen of wands. 
right? Then I'll put that down in the center of the spread to say this is representing you. And that way, if somebody else comes up that's wands or some other court card, we can kind of make interpretations based on how it how it relates back to that base card. Um, that's something that I learned with my mentor all those years ago. But then I use the Celtic cross layout so that and even in the Celtic cross layout, there might be some nuances in what the different positions mean. But for me, it's you've got your main position, which is the main situation. You've got the card that you cross um, horizontally across that, which is the crossing card, the situation that you come across. At the top, you have the crowning card. That's what's obvious from a superficial level. Then below at the very bottom, you have the base card. That's what's deep inside, sort of the foundation of things. Then on um, my right of the center cross is where the past influences comes. To my left of the center cross is where your future influences come. And then you have a column that goes up. Um, so like if visually you're looking, you've got the cross so far, and then there is a column that goes up the side. So as the reader, I, I see the column going up the right side to the right of the cross. And in that column, there are four more cards. It's the um, where one finds oneself, sort of an extension of the main position, is the first one that's the lowest. Then it goes up to how others view you. Then it goes up to your hopes and fears. And then the last position is your final outcome, the final word in the reading today. And do you feel like as you lay those cards out that there is really influence from the other side as to how those cards end up being shuffled and placed down? Or is it more interpretive out of random? How do you, how do you, what's your feeling on that? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I will say, I definitely feel that there is some psychic force at play because I've seen layouts come out that are just like, whoa, how can you be so exact? Right. Um, but having said that, when I'm doing tarot, I don't always have the physical perception of, of spirit guides being physically there. So I'm not 100% sure, to be honest. And, and I think that it's important when you work in the realm of energy, like we do, that you have to be open to, you're never going to know everything. Right, right. Tommy? Yeah, this uh, doesn't sound like a beginner's level of uh, interpretation. How long does it take to did it take you to master it, or the average person? Do you think would it take to master what you're describing? Oh well, I hope to master it someday. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, you know, when I first started with my first deck of tarot cards all those years ago, I got some results that were pretty spot on, um, and I continue to do so. But I always feel like the tarot well i mean anything it's just it's not an exact science right it's i always tell people the very best psychics and mediums are typically about 80 to 90 percent accurate mm -hmm. you know depending on how you interpret things absolutely i i tell people if you get a 70 percent and above you're doing pretty dang well mm -hmm. uh, if you get the 80 90 percenters you're doing really well yeah that's the way i've always said it and i believe yeah. that and I kind of rate it from that perspective because everybody, what folks need to realize is as a psychic or medium, you, you know, you still have your own filter on that and your distortion is going to go based on your education, your life experiences, your belief systems, all this kind of stuff to what spits out your mouth. 
Yeah. And <laughs> that's where, you know, auto riding kind of helps sometimes because if you're auto riding, you know, you're going to maybe get, I think a little, one of the most accurate ways because somebody else is basically taking your hand and writing. So uh, I think sometimes that's helpful as well. Yeah. But, but even with automatic writing, you know, it's just a tool still coming through your head and you, then you get to the end of automatic writing and you're looking at what's been written and you're like, Oh, this looks like it might be saying this word, you know, but, but it's, you know, there's often room for interpretation, no matter what tool you're using. Yeah. No question. No question. So you want to, you want to give a little demo. You want to do a tarot demo. Um, so tarot is the, the, the type of thing, it does take a little bit of time and, sure. and I really focus a lot on preparing the cards. Oh, sure. I beginning. get it. No problem. So, um, I'm, I'm open to, to doing some sort of demo, but I don't know if tarot is going to be the best. Okay. Well, whatever, um, whatever strikes your fancy. Yeah. We're, we're, we're pretty good training dummies. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of practice. Well, um, you know, if you can bear with me for a moment and we'll just, I can just uh, close sure. my eyes and breathe deeply and have a little dead space on the air and, uh, you know, see what comes through. All right. So bear with me one moment. All right. Well, I just, I will say that I'm getting, um, I do want to just feel like I'm going to channel a spirit for a moment here. And I will say, I feel like I'm getting a female of an older generation coming through. And, um, and also I do feel like I want to talk about the lungs. So somebody may have had trouble breathing. Um, so is this making sense to you? You're talking to me particularly? Um, well, I saw you nodding your head, but it could be for either of you. Mm. Uh, um, I'm also getting my symbol for prolonged. So someone was sick for a while before they passed. Does this make sense? That would be Tommy. Okay, so Tom, this makes sense for you? Uh, yeah, female, yeah. Okay. Relatively short time, but longer than a quick exit, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm definitely getting my symbol for, oh, actually, okay, they're coming through with both. So um, so both prolonged and sudden is, is now coming through. So I will say that sometimes when I get both, it's where somebody was sick, maybe with an underlying condition for a while, but then the actual passing was more sudden than we expected. Correct. All right, now I'm getting something in the head. This doesn't have to be for your, your spirit, Tommy. This could be for anybody, but I'm picking up on something in the head. And for me, the way I'm receiving it is I'm receiving on the left side of my head, which is the way I'm typically going to receive if somebody has a stroke, an aneurysm, or a blood clot. Um, does this make sense for someone? Someone have a stroke, an aneurysm, or a blood clot? Not on my side, Terry. No, I can't think of any. Okay. I've got... I've got lots of family though, so I'm trying to think. So. Okay. It doesn't always make sense on the spot and that's okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Now I am getting my reference to, I'm getting a taste in my mouth, which, which is the way I'll often get for somebody who smokes cigarettes or drinks a lot of coffee or both. Um, so do we have a coffee drinker or a smoker? That would have been my mother in her very younger days. Okay. All right. All right, and I feel like I want to, I'm getting either the letter N as in Nancy um, or M as in Mary. So N or M feels like it's coming through here. I had a grandmother named Mary. Oh, nice. Okay. 
Okay. And now also I'm getting um, this feeling of some cognitive decline. Was this Mary? Did she have some cognitive decline towards the end? It was a grandmother. I did not know. Okay. Uh, you know, but. Okay. Okay. I feel like Mary wants to say that she definitely knows you. And then she's also watching over um, uh, the rest of the family. You have some young ones. You Do you have, I don't know if you have kids or not, but I'm feeling like she's watching over some younger um, people. So you have kids, Terry? Yep. Okay. So she's acknowledging that she sees them, that she watches over them as well, but it's more than one. Is that correct? You have at least two? One's alive and one's dead. Ah, gotcha. Okay. But what we know is dead. Yes. In the spirit world. Yeah. All right. And again, I'm feeling like I want to talk about the head. So this might be something else going on with the head. It doesn't have to be the stroke, the aneurysm, or the blood clot. But I do feel like I want to talk about something going on with the head. Hmm. Is that something that could happen or you think it's something? Usually it's something that has happened. has happened. Usually it will relate to somebody who's in spirit. Or if not that, then the spirit is saying they see what's going on with you in the physical world. I see. Hmm. I don't know. I had a great grandmother who died from a stroke. Ah, there she, you go. So which was a long time ago. But yes, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Well, I don't want to take up the whole show with this, but oh, I sure. do feel like they wanted to take the opportunity to say hello since you were opening up there. So That's let me good. just... Um, Thank them. So bear with me one moment. Sure. All right. They're sending their love. And then I also do feel as they were leaving, they wanted to talk about a rose or roses. Um, so I don't know if somebody liked roses or maybe someone was named Rose. Um, there's a family rose on my mother's side. It's wow. a, yeah, it's a, yeah particular beautiful. rose. So yeah, yeah, my daughter would have known that. Beautiful. Okay. Yeah. Nice. yeah. Very good. Thank you. That's awesome. Yeah. Good. So very good. Well, um, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I think, I hope our listeners learned something because, you know, <laughs> we covered a lot of material here all yeah. over a short period of time. So I know it's been a lot of fun. I hate, I hate to, for it to come to an end. Absolutely. Tommy, you got any final words, thoughts? Yeah. Kelly, I just want to thank you for your contributions to this show. Um, I mean, that was a huge thing that we've really not covered well, the whole tarot type stuff. And mm -hmm. I think that's going to be really helpful because I know a lot of people speak about that as they kind of enter into this world. So that'd be really good to give them a place to jump off of and nice. uh, seek you out for additional help. Well, I'm so glad. I'm, I'm happy to help. Yeah, I, I love helping people and, and I love giving readings. So, uh, you know, anybody who's listening, if you're interested in connecting, I do psychic readings, which are great for getting insight into the path you're on at the moment and what may be coming up for you in the future. And then I do mediumship readings to reconnect with loved ones who've crossed over. And I am an evidential medium, so I typically will pick up on some pretty crazy uh, hits on, you know, validating that it is a loved one. Absolutely. Well, tell us, tell the listeners how to get a hold of you. What's the best way? What do you prefer? And go from there. 
Yeah, so definitely the best way to reach me is through my website, channelingwhitelight.com. And on my website, I've got tons of resources, information about my services and rates. You can read my reviews. You can actually watch video excerpts of my actual readings. Um, I publish those on YouTube and TikTok and all over the place. And then you can see my full availability and book appointments directly on my website. So again, channelingwhitelight.com channelingwhitelight.com and your website. Uh, you can get all the, I've been through your website. You got a lot of data on there so they can grab everything they need right there. And then I guess the, the Chinese government can also, since you're on TikTok, they can also get you. So yes. anyway, uh, sounds, sounds fantastic. Oh, you said you were in Sussex. Um, you didn't have to see the Duke and the Duchess, did you by chance? No. 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 Okay. Well, that's that's just something that's come to mind so uh gotta have fun when you're doing this that's for sure so kelly hey thanks so much for being here and Absolutely. uh yeah thanks really, for really having enjoyed me it's been it. fun enjoyed the little demo that was fun too so um folks so everybody um man from all of us here at the metaphysical mysteries podcast Thanks for being with us, and we will be back as soon as we can put it together, another exciting episode of the Metaphysical Mystery. So we'll see you all later.